no clue that would cause such a stir. <laughs> Uh, if you don't know what it is, it's an American kind of a, a documentary show or a reality TV show that uh, debuted in 2009, and it, it kind of documents or depicts the real-life struggles of those who are hoarders that have compulsive hoarding disorder. Um, this show scares me. <laughs> I came home one day, and Jessica was watching, and I was like, oh, uh, how can you watch that? I said, turn it off. It's infectious. It's going to get on us. You know, if you watch that, you're going to set your standard lower. You're going to say, well, we're not that bad, you know. Um, but, you know, there is an antithesis to that show. Uh, and I want you to know, I was thinking about Hoarders, and then I, I learned of this other show, uh, Tidying Up with Mar uh, Marie Kondo. Raise your hand if you know what that show is. It also uh, was on Netflix. Uh, Marie Kondo is a Japanese organizing consultant. Uh, she was made one of the top 100 influential people um, from Time Magazine in 2015. Now, her methods were popularized by her Netflix show, which she basically shows people how to organize and clean their homes, which we should be able to do. Um, but we have so much stuff, we have to, to watch shows and read books on how to do these things. You know, she says this, and I don't have it here, just listen here. Um, the objective of cleaning is not just to clean, but to feel happiness living within your environment. Uh, makes sense, right? Um, the question is, which home would you rather live in? The home the hoarder has or the one that is organized? Obviously, you want to live in the home that is clean. Uh, we, we would choose clean over dirty any day of the week. Now, uh, personally, we've been doing some purging in our home. Uh, I had planned after my semester, it's been such an intense semester, that I always set aside projects that I'm going to do, and we were going to purge and clean and catch up on some of these things, and we've made several trips to rescue treasures over the last few weeks. But cleaning and organizing and purging can be challenging. You know, deep down inside, you don't want to let go of things. I mean, I've had a board in the garage before that I knew I was going to use one day. Uh, I'm not a hoarder, but we have some things, you know, that we can get rid of. Not, you're not, guys, you're not going to be able to repair it. Uh, just let it go. You're never going to repair it. It's, it's not going to happen. Just get rid of it. So to help declutter your home. Um, but when it comes to cleaning and purging, um, you cannot leave it up to someone else. It's something that you have to do. Um, if somebody comes in and, and cleans your home for you and you do not change your behavior and the way you do things, what's going to happen? What happens to the, the hoarder's homes? And my wife went with uh, a group of ladies years and years ago to a home, and, and they said so-and-so needed help cleaning. Their house was a mess. They had some medical issues. And she went there and realized they were a hoarder. And these ladies spent all this time cleaning up. And uh, just even the thing you prick your finger with to check, you know, your sugar levels were thrown all over the floor. They just wouldn't put stuff in the trash. And I knew after the fact, because if you do not change your behavior, the home is going to be... Uh, come dirty again. Now, I believe cleaning and purging and organizing can bring happiness and help to your, uh, or happiness and help uh, actually help your personal mental health. Um, I would rather be in a clean home. It's typically the way we feel. You want to be in, a, you want to eat in a clean restaurant. Would we all agree there? Uh, you don't want to walk in and see the guy, you go into the bathroom at the restaurant, the cook comes in, uses the bathroom and leaves out and doesn't even wash his hands. Those are things that are normal. We think that people should clean and have a clean environment. And the same is true for Christianity or the Christian life. 
God looks at his believers as a spiritual house, individually, as a vessel, and as the church. We're called a temple in the New Testament. We're referred to as vessels, and he wants us to keep the house clean. He wants us to clean he wants us to clean up our lives so we can be used by him. Now, contrary to popular belief within modern Christianity, God is not using filthy vessels. He is using clean vessels, and we're going to get into that today. Now, the Apostle Paul deals with this in the New Testament um, concerning personal spiritual cleaning, and he deals with it in his second letter to his young protege, Timothy. So if you would, we're going to look at 2 Timothy today. Uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And you'll see here, right at the beginning, Paul says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. Now, I love the King James Version of this because it's burned into my mind because of the pastor I was learning from or under years ago would preach. I mean, he yelled when he preached. And when he preached, and the King James Version says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure. I love that. Um, it is a quote from the Old Testament. And oh, this, uh, the part, this next part here, the Lord knows who are his. I love that. That should be a, a good, encouraging reminder to the, uh, us today, church. That is a quote from Numbers chapter 15 and verse 6. When Moses is dealing with the rebellion of Korah, and he makes a point of that God knows who are his. It's not the people rebelling. Those people are going to get swallowed up. They're going to die. It is God's people. God knows who his people are. Uh, as an old theologian has said, and I've said this time and time again, there's saints and there's ain'ts. Um, to, be truth, to be truthful, there is God's sheep and there are goats. There are those who produce good fruit and those who produce bad fruit. I mean, Jesus talks about this even in John chapter 10 and verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, this is not a sermon on verse 19 here, but this is a little bit I wanted to add to here. And he goes on to say, let everyone, because God knows who are his, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. What a message to the 21st century church. If you name the name of Christ, depart from iniquity. And this context here is talking about depart from false teachings and immorality. Um, quit living as the world lives. There's immoral immorality that's getting into the church. There's false teaching that's getting into the church. And Paul is declaring here and telling us that we are to part from those things, to turn from iniquity. Now into the text we are in today predominantly. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house and church, ready for every good work. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you that we have been able to come and worship you. 
And I pray that we see this as a high priority in our culture and our age. Uh, Lord, that many have walked away from the faith. Um, that many have not, uh, do not have this confident faith in you. But Lord, we are thankful that the foundation stands true today. That you know who are yours. And I pray that we make that evident in our own lives as we depart from iniquity. Lord, that we cleanse our own lives. Lord, that we remove the evil things, false doctrine that may have crept into our hearts and our lives, lifestyles and patterns that are wrong, that are dishonorable to you, that we depart from those things, that we may be honorable vessels, that we may be holy and used by you, our master, and that we can participate in every good work you've given us here, this mission you've given us in the world. Uh, Lord, that we can be used by you, that we're not being as hypocrites in the world, that when we tell people we are Christians, we are living after you, that we are following the Christ and obedient to our Savior. And bless your words as they go forward today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, church, last week we spent some time dealing with the reality that God can, in fact, create in you a clean heart. It was the cry of David after he had fallen into sin. God, purge me. Cleanse me. He actually says, do not take your spirit from me, which he could have done because he did it to Samson. But David is crying out, return the joy of my salvation. Create, we learned this word, create from Genesis. Barah, uh, new creation. Allow me to be new. I don't want to be the person I was that drifted into sin. And yet still, we've learned that there is a responsibility for us to keep our own lives clean. And this is where the sovereignty of God meets um, human responsibility. I believe in God. His sovereignty is working in my life, but I am to respond to those things in faith and obedience. Paul talks about that in uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. He tells us to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling. Um, you know, that it says that the demons believe they fear God, and they tremble. And today we say we believe, we just don't tremble. And Paul tells us here to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in us both to will and to work his good pleasure. God works in us. We are to respond and do what he calls us to do. And the scripture here teaches us uh, there is a personal call um, to personal holiness, to cleanse ourselves. Christ is working within us. We've called on him. We've asked him to cleanse us of our sin, forgive us our sins. He has been faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But now we have a duty and a responsibility to not get back into the same mud again. To not go back down the same path. I think some of the, the testimonies of many people have been going, just going down the wrong path. Uh, stop going down the same path that gets you into trouble. Avoid the things that pull you down and lead you into sin. Clean up your life. Get rid of the things that pull you away from God and, and, and make your life filthy. So the first thing we're going to talk about today, church, is that there is this personal responsibility uh, that we are called to cleanse ourselves. Again, to pur cleanse, to purge out. Therefore, if anyone cleanses, purge out, actually clean thoroughly, 
himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Now, I don't have this here, but I want to share this with you. Why do we not have more people stepping up to ministry, to serve, to get dirty, to, to be involved in whatever it, it takes to serve in the church? And I want to tell you, I think the primary reason is there is filth in your life. There is sin that needs to be moved out of your life, that you need to cleanse your own life. What is inhibiting me from saying yes fully to God? A lot of times we're living in this partial Christianity. I'm kind of in. God is calling us to be all in. He didn't do a partial work at the cross for you, by the way. He didn't die halfway for you. He's calling us to be Christians who are all in. That means we have to get rid of things in our lives that are keeping us from being used um, as a vessel for honorable use for every good work. God has a lot of good work for us to do today. But we have to get some things out of our lives. The Christian life demands unswerving obedience and allegiance to Christ. It places responsibility upon each believer. That there is, yes, God is working in your life, but you have to respond and do these things as well. It places these things on you to maintain a pure heart. Yes, God has given me a new heart. Now I am to keep it clean. Now, if you called out to God and he saved you and you were looking at pornography and if you don't change that behavior, even though he has saved you from your past sins, you're going to begin to indulge in the same sins again. If you do not cleanse your own life, we're to live an unpolluted, clean life before God. We're called to this personal holiness. It is taught in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. This is not something that Pastor Derek is making up. This is something that is uh, biblical throughout. I want you to see this. The prophet Isaiah. Who does he tell to wash? Wash yourselves. Wait, I, think, I thought God does all the washing part. Doesn't the blood cleanse me of my sin? Yes. But you have a duty to keep your life from being in sin again. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove evil um, of your deeds, the evil of your deeds from before the eyes of God. Remove these things from your life. Clean your life up. Cease to do evil. He doesn't say, just cease to do evil today and tomorrow return to the same thing. Cease doing it. In fact, go on for the every good work. Learn to do good. Stop doing it. Pretty simple. Stop doing evil. Do some good. Seek justice. Notice here it doesn't say social justice. It's justice. The justice of God and biblical justice is not the same as social justice that we are seeing in our culture. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's calls. The fatherless are these babies the world wants to abort, by the way. If you're going to do justice, how come all these social justice people aren't standing against abortion? Justice tells us to defend the fatherless here. Plead the widow's calls. That's the Old Testament text. What does the New Testament say? What does Paul say? Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of the body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Old Testament, New Testament, wash yourself, cleanse yourself, purge yourself of these evil deeds in your life. Church, we are called to live holy, and in this, it is we are actively pursuing Jesus. 
and we are actively removing things from our lives that will keep us from following Him. We are actively removing sinful things that keep us in the filthy lifestyle. We are to live spiritually clean lives, to cleanse out sinful behaviors. Now, as you grow closer to God, at times you can feel even more sinful because when you get in the presence of God, He helps you realize there's some issues that need to be dealt with. I mean, Isaiah is called to be a prophet, and we get six chapters in, and he sees this vision of the holiness of God, and he says, I am undone. Even Daniel said, I am a man of sinful lips. Isaiah, these are prophets, and they got closer to God and realized there's some stuff that needs to be made right. I need to get these things out of my life. We are to cleanse up our own lives, to purge our lives of things that hinder us from living holy lives. What is the primary excuse that you've heard today about people not coming to church? There is hypocrites there. Now, <clears throat> I don't like buying into that. It's like somebody going to the gym and saying, well, there's hypocrites here. There's people that are unhealthy in the gym. They're there for the right reason. Um, so we're glad people are here trying to do right. But that is what we're called to do, that we're trying to get those things out of our life. But they'll say you're a hypocrite. Do not allow people to see a double standard. Don't allow, you're inviting them to church and you're living exactly the way they live. Don't do that. Purge your life. Get rid of those things. Let them see that this works, that Jesus really saves and forgives and makes us holy. In fact, it takes a lot of effort. If not, um, it's not something that just happens. Like your house has to be tended to. When the housing crisis happened, all of a sudden, all these banks, when people gave up their homes, they're uh, managing properties now. But the banks couldn't even keep up with that. If a house gets a leak, uh, who's in the home to make sure it's corrected? This has to be something that is actively done. Houses do not maintain themselves. So it's not our normal pattern of life to do this. We don't drift into holiness. I want you to hear this of one pastor, D.A. Carson. He says, people do not drift toward holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness. Uh, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. If anything, we drift toward compromise, and we call it what? We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. I'm free in Christ. We drift toward superstition, and we call it faith. We cherish the indisciplined life of lost self-control and call it relaxation. I go on a vacation from God and we, we drink a few drinks and we get away so none of the church sees it and we call it relaxation and it's our vacation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have escaped legalism. By the way, Christ followers that are solid in the faith are called legalistic by false teachers. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. Church, we do not drift toward holiness. This is something we have to actively pursue. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes diligence to be made holy. Church, we should be driven by our love for God who calls us and says, you are a holy people. Jesus says, be holy, or Peter, be holy for our God is holy.
be loving because our God is loving. And we are called toward this holiness, church. And as children of God, we should want to demonstrate his character. Ephesians 5.1, I don't have it on the screen. Therefore, what? Be imitators of God as dear children. If I'm a child of God, shouldn't I have the character of my father? Shouldn't I demonstrate the nature of God? If you've been born again, it means born from above, meaning that you have the spirit within you. You have the nature of God that we should demonstrate his character in the world. Uh, we are to cleanse ourselves and live holy for a reason. Now, raise your hand if you've heard of the seven deadly sins. Maybe some of you from church history. We have these here um, that I think was taught in the 6th century by Gregory the Great and taught by some of our early church fathers. And what I have here for you today is seven deadly sins and how do we overcome them? One of the first ones you'll see is vainglory or pride. How do I overcome pride in my life? The New Testament teaches us to put on humility. When pride creeps up in your heart, how do I cleanse that out? I demonstrate humility. I put on humility as Christ did. Um, two, greed. There are greedy people. We are in a culture that thrives in greed. How do I fight the nature just to want more? Uh, greed and covetousness. We overcome it with charity. That if I'm going to achieve anything and build up my bank account, it is not just for me. It is for the glory of God and that I'm going to give this away and help. I'm going to help fund the mission. If God gave you this opportunity for a better situation when you were to get paid more money, is it for you just to build up your barns as the New Testament talks about? Or is it for you to help fund the mission, to help send missionaries around the world, maybe to help a young person go to camp or to be invested in the local church? Um, that we fight these things, we overcome it with charity and giving and serving. Uh, how do I overcome lust in my life? Inordinate, and this means inordinate or illicit sexual desire. We live in a culture that has some jacked up sexual desires. Who in their right mind would think it's okay to be minor attracted? That I look at a kid and I'm sexually attracted to him and you are to accept this and consider this normal. These are deviant sexual desires. How do I overcome this? With chastity. That I want to live pure before God, regardless if I'm married or not. If I'm single, I want to have a chaste life before God, giving Him honor in all that I do. Envy. I look at what other people have, and I want that. Actually, this covetousness is a part of that. Envying is even deeper. Envy means I like what they have, and I'm mad that they have it. I just want it for myself. How do I deal with that? Gratitude. Contentment. Lord, thank you for what I have. Give us this day our daily bread, Lord. That is what I need. I want you in my life. I want your blessings, your provisions, not everything everyone else has and the world has to offer. Number five, gluttony. Usually understood to include drunkenness. Um, I heard a minister say recently, actually I read this, a quote, if pastors would get drunk every time they overate, they would be if every time they would just live a drunken life. That we're not to live as gluttons. I was watching something recently. I'm interested in, in personal health because at one time I got up to 325 pounds. I lost 100 pounds and I've struggled in the middle there because I love to eat. <laughs> 
And my dad would whoop us if we didn't clear the plate. So there's just some of these ingrained things in there. But I love to eat. Um, I don't want to be a glutton, you know. I want to do well. But I, this, uh, this health professional was saying, look at a picture from, um, not Lollapalooza, what was before then, years ago in the 60s, the big concert. What was it? Woodstock. Woodstock. Why do y'all know that, by the way? No, I'm just messing. Um, I did that on purpose. But Woodstock, the, the concert, you will not see anyone that's overweight from pictures from the 60s and 70s and before that time. Uh, we have become a people that overindulge. Um, that we can fight that. That was part of, you know, what God was doing in my life early on. But um, gluttony, how do we overcome that? With temperance and self-control. And that's hard for me because, you know, we were taught to clean our plate. But it's okay to push the plate away. It's okay to leave some on the plate. Number six, wrath or anger. How do I overcome that? What does James tell us? Uh, Be slow to speak. Quick to listen. Slow to anger. Don't lose your temper so easily over the smallest thing. Have self-control in your life. Um, Number six, this was creeping into my life, and I would say, you you always expect these weird testimonies that somebody used to be a gangbanger, a drug dealer, and all these things. They got saved, and they're doing ministry. Um, I had become a sloth in my life. That's part of my testimony. I was just doing nothing. I was going through the motions, and, and, you know, what am I doing? I'm not living for Christ. Very lazy, uh, overeating at everything, um, just staring at the TV all the time. This is who I had become, a sloth. How do you overcome that? Diligence. That God doesn't save you by his grace for you to be lazy. We're to be a diligent people in ministry. And number, uh, number eight here, I added this. Our culture is inundated with idols around every corner and we have i mean this phone alone can become an idol and i'm talking about it a lot because at one time it was a challenge and now it's an addiction and it is an idol for many um how do we overcome this full allegiance to god what if we quit using this as an idol and just used it for ministry more often and i want to show you this i was showing this at uh, my class tuesday There's no end. I don't know who came up with it. I wish we could do that for Bible stuff. You just scroll to the next chapter. Did you know you could do that, by the way? There's another chapter. (laughs) Well, on Facebook, you just... There's no... Facebook will never tell you, by the way, you've had enough. It it doesn't do that. Now, I was sharing with my class, Instagram will say you're caught up from time to time. Hey, oh, I'm caught up. (laughs) You know, Um, but this can... How do you stop? Oh, there's so-and-so. Look what they did. Oh, it's great. Like, (laughs) you know, and we just keep going. It has become this thing that consumes our mind and our time and our behavior. How do we overcome these things? Time with Christ and his church. Um, I believe we have become too familiar and comfortable with social media. It's a modern idol and robs people of their time with Christ and his church. Years ago, I was in a class. I was, I was pursuing um, nursing, and I remember the, the teacher in my class said, what is easier to eat, celery or ice cream? It's a challenge. I love ice cream, by the way. No one has ever said, I just love celery. I wish I could get more. It, it's, a, it's more of an effort to eat celery. It is an effort 
when you get home and you're tired at the end of the day, to turn off all the stuff and to sit down and read a book and to get tired naturally. This does not tell you you're too tired and it's time to go to bed. It, it deceives you into thinking this is recreation and rest and robs you of rest that is much needed on top of your devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, church, these things that God has given us, that we overcome sin with, are gifts from him. Um, they are better. They are honorable for, uh, by God. Now, cleansing ourselves not only brings glory to God, but it allows us to actively and entirely be used by God for his purpose. So this brings us to our next point here. We are to be a vessel for honorable use. Again, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use. He is set apart. He is sanctified. He is made holy, useful of, to the master of the house, ready for every good work. In a great house, he's saying here, this means in any house for that matter, there are all kinds of vessels. Now, if you have a guest come over, now, from time to time, you might be very busy and you want to just use paper plates so you can throw them away. I get that. But if a guest comes over, you do not serve them with a dirty dish. You do not give them the dog's bowl. These are vessels of dishonor. What would you want to serve guests with? You know what we have right beside our dining table? The china cabinet. You want to sit, serve people with your best dishes, for the most part. You want to use something that is clean, it is nice, it is honorable. You don't serve them with filthy dishes. In fact, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> Jessica's mom, we'd go out to eat. It didn't even matter what kind of a restaurant it was in. It could be Golden Corral, you know. <laughs> Their dishes aren't clean. And she would pick up the fork and go, I need another fork. <laughs> you, know? and so, you do not want a filthy fork. Um, I went to the IHOP um, when it started getting acting more like the Waffle House. And I remember they brought out a coffee cup, and it had lipstick on it. And I was like, did you not see that? It's bright red. <laughs> so I called the server over, hey, I just got lipstick. Oh, I'll get you another cup. Comes back with another cup. Lipstick on the other side. So... You know, it was one of those types, I guess, either they didn't wash the dishes or it's waterproof, whatever. But you don't want dirty dishes. It makes sense. Now, uh, at first glance, when you're looking at this text, um, you assume, well, doesn't God use sinners? Yes, he uses people who were sinful people. What we have uh, done is we've kind of manipulated the New Testament Christ. And we've lowered him and created him into this just nice little guy that goes around and parties with sinners. By the way, Jesus went to parties. He did not party with sinners and get drunk with sinners. So what we've done is we've lowered who this holy God is and, said, and we say he approves of our lifestyle. And so when we look at this, it can be perplexing. You know, God wants me to be clean? Yes, here's the thing. This is the New Testament teaching. God uses weak vessels. He's not using sinful vessels. Uh, and, and review your own life. God uses imperfect people to accomplish his perfect plan, but he's not using people actively in sin. Now, if, if they are, they're fooling people. 
There are ministers that are doing church and they get up here and preach like everything is normal and they're living in sin and eventually it gets brought out and does a lot of damage to the ministry of the church. But God is not using them powerfully. The Spirit leaves. They lose their anointing. And that's why a lot of these megachurches, because it's not based on the Word and the Spirit of God, they can keep functioning while the pastor is living actively in sin. No one skips a beat until it's found out. But God doesn't use dirty vessels. The truth is that God is using those who are pursuing Him and getting sin out of their lives. Now, let me ask you, if a missionary came forward and said, hey, you know, I want you to support me in my mission. I just left my wife. I'm, I'm taking my girlfriend with me. Are you going to, yeah, I'm home. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's give this guy, he's on fire for God. He's going to be a missionary. Common sense dictates that you want somebody that is in love with God and removing sin from their life. And this distorted mentality has lowered our own standard that we think, well, I can just keep going on living in sin and, and, and go through the motions and people will buy it and we end up deceiving people. It's a distorted version of God's love and enabling grace that calls us to get sin out of our life. People today say things like, you know, God is forgiving so I can keep on sinning and asking for forgiveness. That is not a Christian message, by the way. God offers forgiveness that you will be forgiven of your sin and repent and turn from that. Some may say, God loves me just the way I am, broken, hurt, wounded, and dirty. Or I am a sinner, I'll always be a sinner, so why even try? And here's the deal. Jesus receives the broken, the hurt, the wounded, and dirty people so they can be helped and healed and restored and cleansed from every sin. He receives sinners so they can be saved and sanctified and ultimately serve him in the mission. God uses weak vessels, but not dirty vessels. And so the question is today, church, are you a vessel of honor? I'm going to ask Jay to come as we prepare to close and spend some time in prayer. And as he's making his way, I think if you review um, the New Testament... And throughout the Bible, you will see people who were sinful that God saved. You will find stories of people who were believers that fell into sin. Um, but God was not using them in their sin. I want you to think about Noah. What do we know about Noah after he built the ark? He got drunk. That's what we remember. If he was drunk while building the ark, it would have sunk. Uh, King David. We, we love King David. He committed adultery. But he pleaded to God to be healed. Every time that David sinned, God dealt with him. And he had to repent and make things right. Daniel wasn't partying when he got thrown into the lion's den. He was a man of prayer. Now some might say, well, what about Samson? Wasn't he living in sin? And ultimately, we know. Do you want to use Samson as your example of Christianity? And he, Ultimately, he was a person of faith, but he lived in sin. And what happened? God took his spirit away. He's blind. You want to go out like that where people burn your eyes out and you have to kill a bunch of people to kind of end well, um, that you end up dying that way? When the apostles received the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, they went out and preached and people were saved. They weren't having affairs on the side. Judas, Judas had embezzled money, but he was found out. The apostles were living and, and filled with the Spirit of God. 
The Apostle Paul wasn't persecuting the church when he was the missionary. The sin was behind them. They had moved on. So the calling today, church, is that we cleanse ourselves. Now we began by talking about the hoarders show. <sighs> and they come in and they show them how to clean their house. They clean it up and we think it's cool we watch the show. But typically they go back to doing the same thing. Now God has come in and cleansed up, clean, cleansed our heart. But he's taught us what to do to keep it clean. That we remove the sin. That we keep sin out of our lives. Why? Ultimately that we can be used powerfully by God. Church, as we close, we're going to open the altars. Come and pray. Pray about whatever it may be. Maybe it's that, God, I need to be a man of God. I want to be godly. A godly mother. A godly husband. Lord, I want to be a missionary.